Welcome to NEP on Location. Here we hit the road and have conversations with some of the brightest minds from the worlds of public safety, organized labor, communications, politics, and more. In this episode, Jim Oleski is on location at NEP's We Need to Talk Mental and Behavioral Health Conference in Las Vegas and has a conversation with Dr. Burt Bartlett. Dr. Bartlett is a licensed clinical psychologist and the CEO and owner of the Center for Trauma, Anxiety, and Stress in San Diego. She specializes in working with first responders, active duty military and veterans, and those who work in highly stressful occupations, and dedicates the majority of her professional efforts to serving those who serve others. And hi, this is Jim Oleski from NEP Media. I'm location in Las Vegas at NEP Services. We need to talk behavioral health conference. Joining me today is Dr. Brooke Bartlett from the Center for Trauma, Anxiety and Stress in San Diego, California. Dr. Bartlett, thank you for taking some time and uh, sitting with us uh, to talk a bit about today. You presented a presentation called When Mind Over Matter Isn't Enough, How Trauma Affects the Brain and Body. First of all, I'm just so happy to be here. It was great presenting in front of this crowd this morning. So uh, you might have mentioned this already. I'm a clinical psychologist based in San Diego. I specialize specifically in working with first responders and military. So my, uh, I had made up my mind quite a while ago before I even pursued this career that I wanted to work with military and pursued my education through that. I uh, worked at a couple national centers for PTSD throughout the country. And it wasn't until I started my doctoral program um, that I immediately started working with uh, a large fire department. And very quickly I realized, wow, these two populations overlap a lot. And I have that same passion, I feel that same passion working with them as I do with the military. So I I pretty much had my mindset at that point, all right, I'm going full force into this. I'm putting all my research, clinical training, et cetera, into specializing not only with the military, but also with first responders and a lot of work with military who are now first responders. Uh, So that's just kind of a background as to how, how I got to where I am now. And what were some of the things that initially attracted you to going into supporting military veterans and then public safety folks? And what are some things that maybe are common or unique to folks in those fields and, and some of the things that, that you see and that come to you, uh, you know, needing some support? Yeah, those are great questions. So first of all, in terms of what drew me there, it's it's hard to pinpoint. You know, there's not one specific thing. Uh, I grew up with family in the military. I'm very thankful for my country and the people who, who defend it and, and put their, not only their lives, but I always tell people they put their minds on the line as well. Uh, so I knew, always knew I wanted to go and work with that. Uh, in terms of your second question, I believe you asked about what are some things that they uniquely experience. Yep. Yeah. Um, in terms of military first responder versus the civilian, obviously their job in general is rife with a lot more trauma than your accountant, right? Um, So a lot more potential for trauma exposure, which in and of itself uh, could be a risk factor. The other, uh, some other factors here that, you know, your nine to five civilian doesn't experience are things like deployments or 24, 48, 72 hour shifts when when you're not home. Reintegration issues is huge, right? So on, off, on, off. Again, I'm clocking out at 5 p.m. at my desk job and I go home that's great. That's my Monday through Friday. I have my weekends. It's not like that in the military and first responder world. So I come across a lot of them that experience that issues, not only, not just on the job, but a lot of times the issues start to occur at home when they're off the job. Right. And so that's very unique as well. 
And do you uh, do you work with family members of those members as well? And and are there some common? I'm imagining those same things you're saying. Your unique works, you know, schedules. Obviously, in the military, the extreme of of sometimes weeks and months long deployments. Yeah. Even the fire service, you know, in California, uh, having deployments um, yeah. is unfortunately an all too common thing for far too many of our members now with the wildfire, you know, situations yeah. and other disasters and things like that. Right, do you, I guess so. You find a lot of this. You you work with their family members, uh, you know, as well. Absolutely. So the services I offer, I, I offer them exclu- exclusively for military first responders and their loved ones because we know that this isn't just occur in a vacuum. It's sure. the loved ones that are also, in a way, inadvertently become a part of the career as well and have to learn how to manage that. So, yeah, I, I work actually a lot with wildland firefighters in California with the Bureau of Land Management for the state. Um, and they do a lot of deployments. They, they're gone for weeks at a time. And it's interesting, too, is... I work with a lot of firefighters, police who say that, you know, sometimes it's easier for me to be gone for extended periods of time than to be on shift for 24, 48 hours than to come home and have those expectations. It's those expectations that are always there. So that's always trying to work to manage and mold together the demands, the unique demands of a job as a first responder or military member with the needs of the home and the family as well. And what are what are some things that you uh, you know I like to use the word coaching like how, how do you coach folks into you know the big word these days is resiliency yeah. how do you build resiliency uh, the challenges of firefighters shifts and mm-hmm. military deployments like those, those aren't going to go away right um, you know so how do how do people uh, how do how do you build that support enduring the kind of calmer times to to be able to get through those more challenging times what are what are things you work with people on yeah that's a really great great question so I always like to advertise in terms of what I do is very proactive a lot of agencies departments they have reactive things set in place like chaplains peer support god forbid if someone kills themselves right um those are all very much needed but just like if someone's running a marathon you know there might be ems there at the marathon to take over if someone experiences some kind of medical crisis we need to make sure that people are taking care of themselves before they even start that marathon right, right. right so there's a lot of things to be doing the goal is to keep the healthy people healthy and that, that's, I feel like that's not acknowledged that much. It's what do we do with the people who are already in crisis, right? We want to start keeping healthy people healthy. And to keep healthy, they don't need to be grand gestures. They can be very little things. Things like uh, reducing stress off the job, doing, engaging in little uh, relaxing activities when off the job can't be understated. Doing things like having, I call it having a marker when going off shift and going home. Something relaxing, something that cues you that I'm going home now. Right. Yep. That's my that's my cue to go home. I'm going home. I got to kind of start to slowly transform into dad or mom or whoever I am at home. Uh, there could be things almost like safe words that uh, partners can have between each other. Someone's coming home from a rough shift. You know, they send a text over to their partner and just let them know that it was a bad day. Right. And they have a plan in place to how to manage this when they get home. Right. So at least they're aware the family members are aware when they come home as to, OK, this, you know, we're going to go into this mode. You know, this wasn't a good day. And we know what to do. There's so many diff- little things that people can engage in to maintain health before things, the snowball starts rolling and it rolls off the cliff. Yeah, I, actually, I have about a half hour commute to work mm-hmm. and uh, I actually appreciate that half hour commute. Um, I, I, I can't imagine if I lived only a few blocks from yeah. the firehouse uh, because I, I, I need like an hour you know, like mm-hmm. we kind of say you're almost like a compressed spring when yeah. you're at work. And sometimes the spring gets to, 
to, to jump out of the, you know, the box and do its thing. But most of the time it, it kind of doesn't or, yeah. it, you know, and, uh, but it takes you a while to get out of that, that, that mode. Um, and I, even just my 30 minute drive, uh, you know, often helps with that. Um, one thing, again, I, I've been a farmer for 26 years and, and thankfully, uh, I, I feel like, you know, I think back in the day, behavioral mental health was sort of a dirty word, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, you know, I, police friends like, ah, you know, I don't want to end up with a rubber gun. You know, that's what they yeah. used to say. Um, I feel like that has changed tremendously. Um, the, these type discussions, you, I loved your marathon, you know, uh, thing. Yes. A, a, an elite marathon runner mm-hmm. can still get injured. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody who's never run, you know, yeah. a quarter mile and it tries to run a man- marathon is going to get injured. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but it, this whole, um, training yourself sort of to, to, to accept like, okay, I'm, I'm going to f- probably get physically injured at some point in a 25 yeah. year fire law enforcement career. Yeah. I'm also probably going to get, you know, m- mentally injured in sure. the same way. I feel like that's kind of become normalized though, mm-hmm. to accept it. And, and have you experienced that? Have you experienced in the time you've been working with military and first responders that, that is, there is a culture shift, um, yeah. that happening? I, I, I feel it. And I, I think it's a positive thing. Oh, absolutely. I think there's a huge shift. I mean, military, it's been the focus on mental health has increased drastically over the last, you know, 15, 20 years. First responder world, it is very new that this is starting to gain more traction, thank goodness, right? Um, So it is definitely a culture shift uh, to be focusing more on the wellness side of things. And, you know, when we're talking about that proactive idea of building resilience, a lot of times when people hear the word resilience, like you were just saying, they think that, okay, maybe I'm, if I'm resilient, then I'll never be affected by the job whatsoever. I'll never have any issues. The idea is you're resilient, and that means that you're never going to have any issues, that you're never going to need help, that that's never going to happen. Resilience means putting things in place that you can proactively do to try and decrease the chances that anything gets to a point where it's really bad, and or you have the tools in, uh, in your toolbox to be able to identify, hey, this is, this is time for me to kind of get a higher level of care, right? or this is time where I need to reach out. You're able to identify that, because if you're unable to identify what the problem is, you're not going to get help for it. Right. I always use the analogy that if you and I were in a room and there's a little hole in the wall, I said, hey, Jim, here's, a, here's some tools. Can you go patch that hole up? And you're like, no problem. And then I shut the lights off and it was pitch black. Well, you'd be like, well, I don't even know where to start. Like, I can do it, but I don't even know how to identify where that hole is. Right. right? And so that's a very big part of this, too, about resiliency training is it's psychoeducation. It's, it's just learning about what what you know trauma is, what it does to the body, for example, what symptoms might be, et cetera. Because then people start to notice, oh wow, you know, I know so and so who's who's been you know that that that's they're showing some of these signs, or I'm feeling that. And I have so many people who come call me or text me or email me weeks, months, a year after, and saying, hey, you know, you gave a presentation at whatever, and that made me realize like oh, there's, there, this is actually called something. Like, I'm not the only one experiencing this, and I went and got help after that. So it's very, very key. You, you mentioned your experience uh, in sort of public safety that it's, it's, this is kind of new. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, and, and I'm, I'm sort of amazed how fast it's evolved yeah. um, and seems to be accepted, which is, is great. 
what are some what are some success stories or what are some uh, things you've seen that that places have done uh, when they're starting from scratch? Mm-hmm. Um, like how do I if, if I'm in an organization, uh, whether I'm the agency itself or I'm the labor organization supporting it or whatever and say, hey, we, we don't have much here. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what are some things like how do we start? You know, what, what, what would you what advice would you give in that realm? Yeah, a few different things. One this is not materialistic, but it's making it very clear, the leadership making it very clear that this is a priority. It is so incredibly important to communicate that and meaning it, right? Making sure that you make it clear so that people understand that you mean this, right? Because what that does is it normalizes it. And because as you know, first responder culture, it's hierarchical, right? And so the higher ranking people just tend to have more power in moving people if they speak out themselves, if they're like, this is a priority, you know, I was struggling with this, so I want to prioritize this for our department. So normalizing it through talking about it, right? In terms of material things to do, a lot of... Not just talking about it, but then if you're in those leadership positions, you know, all these things require resources. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, let me see the resource allocation commitment to it, um, you know, and that's obviously another, somebody's got to pay the bills. Exactly. Exactly. And so in terms of the resources, I have a lot of agencies say, you know, feel very over, overwhelmed and almost it just kind of stops them from doing anything because they're like, they're thinking all these, you know, multifaceted parts of a wellness program. It can start small and different agencies need, need different things. There's no one size fits all program, right? So just kind of some of the things that I found just on the proactive side of things to be really powerful are things like Uh, content development, right? So you have someone, you know, I've developed very comprehensive resources, resource guides for a department that includes, you know, uh, tips on, you know, what could lead someone to seek therapy, things to ask yourself when you're seeking therapy, things to ask a provider on the phone if you're trying to see if that's someone who's a good fit for you, podcasts, books, all these different things, right? Having a resource guide that people can look to and say, okay, these are my different options for a variety of needs is very, very helpful. Things like wellness checks, I call them uh, uh, wellness enhancement checks, but uh, sometimes agencies bring me on once a year to meet with every single one of their personnel, including leadership. They're not exempt from it. We meet for 30 minutes. It's not therapy. It just normalizes talking to someone, right? And if someone uh, wants to disclose something about, you know, I, I am struggling with this. Is there any, you know, who do I go for for help? It's a time for them to get resources. But if anything, just normalizes it. They don't have to talk about anything. It's not therapy. I'm not taking notes. I'm not reporting anything back, right? Those are very, very important as well, as well as the mental health presentations. I think those are so effective. Just having a provider come in, talk on whatever topic it is that you feel is most relevant. And that's when I said, like the example I gave earlier is I have so many people that contact me after the fact and say, I was at your presentation at blah, blah. It, it, It led me to seek help. Right? right, because I was able to, you know, realize, you know, whatever it is, I was, I was able to identify it. I was able to realize I'm not alone, and that was my catalyst to doing something. So that is proactive as well. What are some tips, uh, maybe that you have, um, uh, police and fire or, or a team, their team sports, so to speak? Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be folks who, who, you know, aren't going to do things to help themselves, uh, or maybe aren't recognizing mm-hmm. um, how they're being affected by something. Mm-hmm. What are ways you, you kind of train organizations and others how we help each other, how we look out for each other? Because I think especially in a firehouse, um, you know, we're living together, we're with each other um, a third of our lives sometimes, if not more. Um, and, and sometimes you don't recognize that you're, you're, yeah. you're being different 
um, but your coworkers like, man, you know, that you're, you've, you've, you've changed yeah. or something. Like how, 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 how do you, you know, what are some things you, you can, you can coach folks on, um, and, and how to do a better job in that, in that kind of environment? Yeah, I think I really coach people on being, having a transparent conversation with that person from a place of care, from a place of love, whatever you want to call it, from a place of support, but having a transparent conversation, because what I, I have a lot of first responders tell me is, you know, I don't know, you know he's not, he doesn't seem to be doing well, and I don't want to bug him, right, or I don't want to make things worse. I don't want to push him and, and by reaching out, so I'm just going to kind of, see. it seems like he's working it out. And while that's understandable and it's coming from a good place, it actually could worsen the situation. So just putting that lifeline out there and saying, hey, you know, I'm worried about you. I've noticed, you know, you haven't been hanging out as much you know, off duty or whatever it is. And, you know, I just wanted to check in, you know, I, I'm here for you. I don't really know how to solve the problem, but I'm, I'm here for you. You want to talk about it. Putting that out there is very, very, very powerful that in and of itself. Yeah. I mean, it seems like in, in talking to, to, to a number of folks, you know, involved in this conference, uh, j- just the, the normalization and the repeated, you know, showing people that you have access to help mm-hmm. or just that there's people that care, um, yeah. sounds like is a huge component in this, in, in having people taking a, you know, a first step in, yeah. um, and again, you know, normalizing like, okay, this, this is okay. This is part of the job. Um, and, and this, this is the way forward. Yeah. It's very powerful. It is a phenomenon I will never get over in first responders is that when one person at a station is brave enough to open up. And again, we're not talking about necessarily even diving deep into deep, dark secrets and, you know, worse pains and thoughts, but we're just opening up. I've been, I've been struggling for the last year on XYZ and, you know, I'm starting to kind of look for resources or I'm starting to do things to better help myself. All of a sudden other people start coming out of the woodwork and they feel it's safer to talk about it. They feel like they have a non-judgmental environment. That they won't be judged, that they won't be penalized in any way. It's it's a phenomenon that happens every single time. It trickles down, and people start coming out of the start coming out of the woodwork. Yeah, I think it's it's this idea like okay, you're you know you're going to get a shoulder injury, and mm-hmm. like okay, that's part of the job. It's probably mm-hmm. going to happen, and mm-hmm. and this is the way you're going to recover. Yeah, and it's no different than you know if you're having some sort of you know mental kind of trauma injury right. getting through, and it's it's part of the job. Right. It's not a lifelong sentence. Not a lifelong sentence. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to ask you a personal question because I find it fascinating, um, especially folks who are dealing with military and public safety. How do you take care of yourself? Oh, that's a great um, question. Because I have to imagine, you know, as much as we've seen and experienced a lot of things firsthand, um, you're you're getting brought along on that ride, yeah. um, sometimes <laughs> probably multiple times a day. <laughs> yeah. Um, how yeah. do you take care of yourself? That's a great question. I'm going to be completely transparent and tell you that even as the psychologist, as the quote I'm air quoting right now, expert, sometimes I don't see it in myself, right? It takes me a little bit of time to say, okay, uh-oh, I've been neglecting my, we'll call it self-care. Right. I've been talking the talk but not walking my own walk because, yes, I have experienced many times where I start to get burnout, vicarious trauma, or just trauma in general responding on scene, you know, to a lot of, a lot of horrific things. Um, and I start to notice things, all the trauma-related symptoms I talk about in my talk, right? I start to notice, I start to go a little bit numb, irritability, anger, isolation, hypervigilance, all these different things. Then it's, uh-oh, okay, I got it. time to start, you know, engaging in some things. Um, so I make sure, there's a couple different things that have made a big difference for me. One is kind of letting myself in, have or engage in whatever small thing it is, let's say, after a shift or after I'm done with work, 
um, that'll bring me even like a momentary relaxation or joy or fulfillment. I'll give you an example. I don't even really like cupcakes, but this, this is like a few months ago, I had a, a pretty rough trauma, trauma heavy day um, and an on-scene call and, and I wasn't feeling very great afterwards and I was just craving a cupcake. So I was like, hmm. So I looked on my, looked around in the area. I found this, you know, custom cupcake yep. place and I drove to it and I picked out two big luscious cupcakes and I went home and I ate my cupcakes, you know, very out of the blue for me. I'm very regimented, you know, you get in these usual things, mm. but kind of listening to my body sure. at that time, right? Another thing I started to do, and this was uh, forewarned by uh, some one of my previous, who was a, a fire psychologist, who's now a mentor of mine. Um, I started to really prioritize, or I started to really focus on decreasing things that might cause me stress when off the job. Now, when I'm saying that, I'm saying, I'm not talking about, obviously, we try and avoid things that don't make us feel good off the job. There were things that I was doing off the job that I thought were relaxing me, but that actually really weren't. So... I would go home and watch my true crime documentaries. Yep. I'd watch my documentary on Richard Ramirez, The Night Stalker. And my mentor, you know, my supervisor at that time was like, you got to stop doing that. You can't do that anymore. You know, that's going to that's gonna catch up to you. And I was like, what are you talking about? That I'm sounds relaxing. a lot like the type stories you're hearing yeah. at, at work. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And he was like, you know, and then I learned the hard way that I was like, now I see what he's talking about. So I really limit these things. And I tell people, you know, if you watch the news, it doesn't mean you never can watch the news again, right? Yeah. Let's not, if we're in the routine of watching the news or listening to it every time we're driving to a shift, maybe we start to kind of modify that a little bit sure. because, you know, we, it could be something that gets us riled up. So that's another thing that I incorporate a lot into my life and that has made a big difference. So I, I've had to cut down on the true crime docs, but it has made a big difference for the positive. <laughs> no, that's fascinating. And, and no, I, I appreciate the, the, the effort that you put in to keep yourself in the game. Yeah. Um, and one, one, one other question, just for somebody who you didn't got come from a military or, or no. you know, public safety background, what are some things you've learned uh, just with working with folks in those fields? Uh, what, what have you learned about those folks? Is, is there any kind of things that you're like, okay, I, I finally figured these folks out. Is there, are there any kind of commonalities there um, that, that you, you see again and again and again? Well, yeah, I won't say that I've, uh, you know, figured anyone out completely, but there are some commonalities. One, typically speaking, these are people who want to help others, right? And that's a wonderful thing. And it's one reason why I, I do what I do is I'm so thankful for people like you who put themselves on the line and do everything they can to help and protect others. And it's so important. So these are typically helpers. They're the, they're the lifesavers. Now, sometimes that can be a risk factor because it's like, well, I'm not the person who gets help or needs help. I'm the person who does the help, right? right. So that's one of those uh, factors. A lot of times people are more type A, even if they're more relaxed person. You know, again, they're the people who get things done. They're the people who do things that way. Um, so those is what I would say are a couple of the qualities that I, I see are common across both military and first responders. Well, I'm, I'm not going to speak for all military and first responders. I was not military, but for all responsibly, I'm not going to speak for everybody. But for myself, thank you for, for what you do, and thank you to your profession. And uh, I'm very glad that, that this has progressed, I feel like, you know, so far, so quick to being a dirty word, to being mm. normal. Yeah. And, uh, and, and now I think the next step is going to be, you know, like kind of what you were alluding to before is how do we, how do we train our leadership? Maybe mm -hmm. some who are often folks who were, uh, they were spent most of their careers when this was not normal. Dirty word. Yeah. 
to, okay, hey, this is normal. This is good for our organizations. This is going to keep our people on the street and healthy and helping others. And it probably maybe is probably even cheaper in the long run to invest the resources up front uh, than it is to to chase, you know, bigger problems down the road. 100%. Uh, So how do do people find you? Um, What's the, you know, what's the easy way if if they wanted to to find Dr. Bartlett? How how do we find you? Yeah, so uh, I have a website. It's www.centertoss.com. That's centertas.com. That's a good way to find me. On that website, you can find my contact information, my email, my phone number, etc. So it's got everything on there. All right. Well, thank you for your time, and thank you for uh, coming out here for uh, this conference here in Las Vegas. And, uh, again, this is Jim Oleski from NEP Media on location in Las Vegas at NEP Services. We need to talk behavioral health conference. And uh, thanks again a lot to Dr. Brooke Bartlett from the Center for Trauma, Anxiety, and Stress in San Diego. And thank you for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in to NEP on location and Jim Oleski's conversation with Dr. Brooke Bartlett. Remember to subscribe to NEP on location wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You can also reach us at nep.news at nepservices.com. And for the latest ideas and information from around the worlds of public safety, organized labor, communications, politics, and more, please visit our website at nepmedia.net.